go ahead and take out your Bibles with me. Turn to the book of Genesis, book of Genesis, chapter 19. going to begin reading in Genesis 19 and verse 12. Genesis 19, verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place! For the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. And therefore the name of the city was called Zoar, which means little. This morning we return to our study of God's dealings with this city called Sodom. We have seen the wickedness of this city. We have heard of the judgment that is to come upon these people. And now the time has come. Together we shall witness in the words of Genesis 19 the utter destruction of the city and its inhabitants. God loves you. How do I know that God loves you? Well, one way that He has shown that He loves you is because He has brought you here this morning to see and hear the account of this city called Sodom. God is loving us this very moment by bringing this event, which took place thousands of years ago, to our attention. Dear friends, this historical account of the destruction of Sodom exists in the pages of the Bible 
that it might be a warning to us. God is loving us through this account. And what is the warning? What is God communicating to us through this passage? God is lovingly yet firmly telling us that if we continue to live our lives our own way, that if we refuse to humble ourselves and turn to Him in faith, we too will experience His righteous wrath. Let me say it again. It's the most important point of this text. It is something we must not forget. The warning of this passage is that if we continue to live our lives our own way, refusing to humble ourselves in faith towards God, we, like those of Sodom, will experience His righteous wrath. Now, how do I know that that's what Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction of the cities of the plain, how do I know that that is mainly what these accounts are about? Well, I know that because the Bible tells us again and again. The Bible, throughout the rest of its pages, will look back on this account of Sodom and will say, Remember Sodom. It is a warning to those who will not believe. Remember, the book of Genesis is part one of a five-part book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these five books together made up what was called the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five. It's the Torah. It's the, the books of law. It was a five-part book. Probably was all written on one scroll. It was given from God, through Moses, to the people of Israel as they are about to enter the promised land. And here, towards the beginning of this scroll, they would have read the account of Sodom. But towards the end of that same scroll, they would have read Deuteronomy 29. Turn with me there. Deuteronomy 29, 18-24. Listen carefully to these words. Deuteronomy 29, beginning in verse 18. Beware. Beware. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Do you hear what is being said there? It is possible that people will hear God's instructions concerning the way that is good and right and will choose to say to God and His ways, no, thank you. 
They will continue to live in the stubbornness of their own heart, going their own way. They will continue to be governed by their own wisdom, their own desires. They are the God of their own life. And as they walk in this stubbornness, they also say to themselves, I am okay. Surely I am safe. Dear friends, the account of Sodom and Gomorrah is given so that those of us who are here this morning, who are still living as servants of self rather than servants of Christ, will wake up to the reality that you are not safe. For what will God do to this one who walks in the stubbornness of his or her own heart? Look at what God told Israel would happen to those Israelites who would not trust Him. Look at verse 20. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. But rather the anger of the Lord and His jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in the book of law. And the next generation, your children who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of that land and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing where no plant can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboam, which the Lord overthrew in His anger and wrath. All the nations will say, Why has the Lord done this to the land? What caused the heat of this great anger? You see, the account of God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain were meant as a warning for Israel to remember that if they left off trusting God, if they left off looking to God and began to depend on themselves and their own ways and the ways of the nations around them, they would become like Sodom. The fact that they were God's chosen people. The fact that they had the law. The fact that Abraham's blood flowed through their veins. The fact that God had rescued them through many mighty miracles in Exodus from the nation of Egypt. All of that would mean absolutely nothing. If they did not trust God, they would be like Sodom. Though they had all these wonderful privileges, if they broke covenant with God, they were not safe. There may be some here this morning who grew up in a Christian home. There may be some here this morning who own a Bible and sometimes read it. There may be some here this morning who you have sat under gospel preaching. You know some things about God and Christ and salvation. You have had special privileges, spiritual privileges from God that billions of other people on this globe have not had. 
Nevertheless, dear friend, if you continue to live your way instead of God's way, trusting yourself rather than trusting God, you are not safe. You will be condemned. And your baptism will not save you. Your trip to the altar will not save you. Any money you've put in an offering plate will not save you. If you are living in the stubbornness of your heart, you are not safe. I do not say these things lightly. Real people lived and died in the cities of the plain. The account of Sodom is a real account. There were real breathing people who were struck by fire and died screaming in anguish and agony. And so also, when I speak of the wrath of God, I'm not speaking of some fictional thing. When I speak of the wrath of God, I'm not speaking of something out there in in abstract. No, I'm speaking of real people experiencing real suffering over a real eternity. Turn with me to Matthew 11. I'm simply pointing you to how the Bible looks back on Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's look at how Jesus talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at Matthew 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 20. Verse 20. Then He, Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of His mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you Capernaum Capernaum was Jesus' headquarters the city of which Jesus probably spent the most time and you Capernaum will you be exalted to heaven you will be brought down to Hades for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom It would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's speaking again to those who have had great privileges. The people of Capernaum had had the very Son of God in the flesh, walking among them, living among them, having dinners with them, performing miracles among them, teaching them, calling them to repentance and faith. God Himself in their midst, and they would not believe. Why will judgment be even worse for the people of Capernaum than it was for the people of Sodom? Jesus said if Sodom had known the privileges that Capernaum had had, they would have repented. 
You see, the people of Capernaum were religious people. They were not an overtly sexually immoral people like Sodom. But they were filled with self-righteousness and pride. They lived in dependence upon themselves and their traditions and the ways of society around them rather than depending upon God Himself. And for them, the story of Sodom stood as a foreshadowing of a worse judgment that will come upon them in the end. It is possible, indeed likely, that we have people like that here this morning. That this is describing you. You're not a a pagan. You don't live like the people of Sodom seeking to to rape someone the way the, the angry mob is outside of Lot's house. According to our society standards, you, you, you would consider yourself a good person. And you may even live day after day confidently thinking, I'm safe, I'm okay. Yes, God has called you to do certain things that you've not done. Yes, if you were to get down to what really drives you, it's, it's your wants, your desires, your wisdom, your thinking, not God's. But you're just a regular Joe. You're just living your own life. You're just making it through. Certainly you'll be alright in the end. Friend, that is the same self-righteous, self-sufficient attitude that the people of Capernaum had. Hear the words of Jesus. It will be worse for you in the end than it was for the residents of Sodom. For you have made yourself your God. You have rebelled against the Most High. You have committed treason and God's wrath stands against you. Those who live in self-righteousness are the most putrid in the sight of a holy God. For here He is, infinitely purer, infinitely wiser, more holy, seeking to love you, seeking to lead you in the good path, and yet you would turn from Him, you would ignore Him, you would neglect Him who is most worthy of your commitment and love. This is a message for all of us to learn from Sodom the need for faith. God has provided a way of salvation for our sins. His Son stands as a Savior ready to receive us. But if we will not turn to Him now, friends, we cannot assume that we will have another opportunity. Did you notice what Jesus said about the people of Sodom? He said, if the works that had been done in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, they would have been saved. In other words, God knew what it would take for the people of Sodom to repent. And had God chosen in His timing to send His Son into the city of Sodom to do the same works that He did in Capernaum, Sodom would have been saved. But that was not God's plan. You see, God does not owe salvation to anyone. And God does not owe an opportunity to repent to anyone. And here you are this morning. And you're hearing this call 
to repent and to turn to God in faith and to live His ways and, and not your ways. You don't know that you'll ever have this opportunity again. For you do not know how long you shall live. All history is about God and His glory. We, friends, we are not the center of history. The story of this world is not mainly about us. It's about Him. God is bringing Himself glory in human history. And you and I are just a part of that plan to bring Him glory. And we will bring glory to God in one of two ways. You will either turn to Him in faith and bring glory to His mercy. His mercy. The glories of His mercy will be seen in you. Or you will harden your heart. And you will continue on your own stubborn way. And for all eternity, the glories of His righteous wrath will be shown in you. Dear friends, God's wrath is as much a good attribute of His character as His mercy is. He has every right to express both, and He will express both upon human beings. And you have an opportunity graciously given to you by God to be a vessel of His mercy if you will only turn to Him, see Him as the good, wise God that He is, and live in faith towards Him. Now, the account of Sodom features Abraham's nephew, a man named Lot, Lot and his family are to us a, a picture of faith. For what does it mean to, to flee the wrath of God and, and to turn to a refuge, to run to a refuge where we will be safe? That is faith. In our passage, Lot and his family are called to flee the coming wrath of God. So are we. In this passage, God appoints a safe place where Lot and his family will be safe, a refuge from them, for, for them from His wrath. God has also, for us, appointed a place, a person, a man named Jesus Christ. And in Him, we have a refuge where we will be safe from the wrath of God. And so this account is a picture of the call to salvation of the call to flee the wrath of God and to run to Christ. He is our fortress. Friends, I want us to see that this passage has been given to us for our good. The rest of my message will seek to open up these things that I've been describing. I have three points. We're only going to do one now. We'll come back in a couple of weeks, do the rest. But here are the three points that we're going to see. In these verses, the three things, themes that I want us to meditate on. Number one, the call to flee. Number two, the manner of this flight. And number three, the refuge to whom we flee. The call to flee, 
the manner of this flight, and the one to whom we flee. This morning, the rest of our time, we're just going to look at the call to flee. We see it especially in verses 12 through 14. Look at verses 12 through 14 of Genesis 19. 12 through 14. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Friends, what can we say about this call to flee? Well, first, we say three things. First, it is an urgent call. You see the urgency in these verses? The angels speaking to Lot say, we are about to destroy this place. Not, not this is a long ways off. Not you have time. You know, take your time. Pack your bags. Put your plans together. No, 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 no. It's, it's we are about to destroy this place. Up! We see the same urgency when Lot is pleading with his future sons-in-law to flee with them. He has the same kind of language. Up! Get out of this place. This is, there's urgency here. The wrath of God is coming. This is, this is a time for a haste. This is not the time to linger. Dear friends, the call today for people to flee the wrath of God is a call that comes with urgency. Jesus said, Jesus Christ said in John 3.18 that whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Do you understand that? It's not that we are waiting for the day of judgment where we will be declared either innocent or guilty. No, dear friends, Jesus says that if you have not come to Him in faith, you have already been declared guilty. The verdict has already come down. You are sitting in your chair this morning as a condemned person, and now you are simply like the prisoner waiting for the punishment to be carried out. Every person walking this planet right now, separated from Jesus Christ, is already condemned. The death penalty has been issued. And now, we are simply waiting for the date. We don't know that date. When Christ will return and execute that judgment upon an unbelieving and wicked world. Unbeliever, here are the facts concerning your situation God is infinitely holy and perfect. You have sinned and rebelled against Him, and you are guilty in His sight. All that remains is for Him to bring you to that place called hell where you will forever receive a just retribution for your sins forever. 
And you don't know when that moment will come. Each and every day, as you go to work, as you sit at home, as you go to the ball fields, it's as though you live with a black storm cloud hanging above your head, and you don't know the moment when a lightning bolt is going to come through and strike you down and bring you into eternal judgment. And so there is urgency here. The call to flee to Christ must be heard with urgency. Second, this is an open call. This is an open call. The men did not tell Lot that only he could be saved. They did not tell Lot, simply you come and leave everybody else behind. No, they said, Lot, if you have anyone in the city, which I take to mean what? If you have anyone that you've come to know and love and or they, you think they'll trust you, you think they'll hear you and believe your words, go to them. Now's the time. Bring others with you out of the city. There are many of us in this room who by the grace of God we've heard and heeded the call to run to Jesus Christ and we live each and every day by God's grace safe and secure in this refuge called Christ Jesus. But dear friends, the call to escape the wrath of God is not one just for us alone. No, we are to seek that others would be saved as well. It should be the longing of every one of us that our spouses and our children and our grandchildren and our parents and our cousins and our friends and our co-workers would escape the wrath of God. I understand that it's not easy. We can't force people to flee to Christ. We can't pick them up and move them into Christ Jesus the way the angels actually come and force Lot and his family outside of the city because they are lingering. We we cannot do that. All we can do is plead with them. And it can be heartbreaking to plead with them when they will not hear us, when they will not believe. When I was a child, one of the few videos that we owned was the movie The Never-Ending Story. I had a very happy childhood, very blessed in that way. And I knew very little about death and sorrow as a child. But I still remember as a child watching that movie. And one scene in particular that, that always gripped me. In this scene, you have the hero, a young man named Atreyu. He's a warrior. And he has a horse, a horse that he loves, called Artex. It's a strong connection between the warrior and his horse. And on their mission, Atreyu is leading his horse, Artex, through a swampland where the mud becomes so thick that he actually has to dismount from from his horse and begin trudging along through the mud, pulling Artex by the rain, slowly moving through. And as Atreo was pulling his horse through the mud up to his knees, Artex suddenly stops moving. Artex is sinking. And slowly we see this animal sinking deeper 
and deeper into the mud and into the water. And Atreyu begins crying out, Come on, Artex! You have to move! You're, you're sinking! You're sinking! Come on! You'll, you'll die if you don't move! And the horse won't budge. As the mud and the water come up to the horse's chest, Atreyu becomes angry and he's crying and he's pleading and he's beating on the horse and he's pulling and he's saying, Please, come on! You're going to die! Move! By the end of the scene, the mud and the water is up to the horse's neck and Atreo has his head on the horse's mane and he's crying into the mane. He's speaking gently and tenderly. Oh, please, Artex, move. You're going to die. And the next thing we see, the horse is gone. Now, that's, that's just a scene in a movie. That was probably my first real encounter with death. And I remember crying my eyes out watching that scene and thinking, why wouldn't the dumb horse move? All I had to do was move! Well, in a much more serious way, some of us know the feeling of having loved ones that we have pleaded with, that we are crying for, and we so long to see them be saved, and they are going down a path that is going to live, land them in a place called hell. And our hearts are breaking because they will not hear us. I wonder, could it be that some of us have loved ones and friends and co-workers, people we care about, and they're under the wrath of God, and we've stopped pleading. We've stopped warning them. I understand that it may require some tact finding the right timing, finding the right words to use. But there comes a point at which we must actually go to those we care about and plead with them to be saved. How wicked of us to see others soon to experience the wrath of God and not to warn them. How hateful a person must we be not to warn them, to cry out to them. It is an open call. Third and finally, the call to flee the wrath of God is a serious call. A serious call. It is not a joke. What do we see with Lot's sons-in-law? He is pleading with them and they are laughing at him. He seems to be joking, we are told. Lot risked his neck leaving his house to warn them. There's still the angry mob, now blinded, full of miserable, animal-like, satanic passions, trying to kill Lot outside of his house. And he goes outside of his house and risks his life to go to these young men to plead with them to come. And they think he is joking. There are many today who believe the call to escape the wrath of God is a joke. It is God in the Bible who speaks of these things. It is God who says that there will be a day of final judgment. It is God who says that there is a place of eternal punishment called hell. And yet people today say it is laughable. And perhaps there are some here 
who, if you were honest, you would have to admit that you don't believe it either. You don't really believe there is coming a day of final judgment. And you certainly don't believe in an eternal place of punishment. Some assume that God's warnings about casting people into hell are an empty threat because they cannot imagine a day when these things would come true. These people are materialists at heart. They believe in what they know. They believe in what they can see and what they can touch and what they can smell. And this idea of history ending and, and the universe being consumed by fire and this final judgment before the throne and an eternal place of punishment, it is so foreign, it is so out there, it seems like science fiction to them, and it is not to be believed, they think. I have only one question to ask such a person. Is it safe or wise or reasonable to presume that because I cannot imagine these things, they therefore must not be true? Is it not a logical fallacy to say that because I cannot picture it, because I cannot imagine it, it must not be true? And what kind of arrogance says that the course of this world must be determined by what my finite, puny human mind thinks is conceivable? Moreover, has God not given us shadows of these things? Do we not have the account of Sodom? Do we not see entire cities destroyed by major hurricanes and tsunamis? Can we not look at the ancient city of Pompeii where Mount Vesuvius exploded in flowing lava and people were overcome, still running for their lives and we have their fossilized remains? I mean, do, they not, do these things not point us that possibly these kinds of things could happen on a grander scale, a cataclysmic scale, a universal scale? Can we not look into the white hot blaze of our own sun and see a picture of the pure and righteous wrath of God? Have you never had a nightmare from which you were only rescued by the mercy of being woken up? And does that not point you to the possibility that there could be a kind of nightmare from which a person never wakes up? Others assume that the threat of God's eternal wrath is laughable because it doesn't fit their own estimation of what they think sin deserves. You see, most people will admit that they're sinners. Most people will admit that they've done things wrong, but most people hold a very low view of sin. They cannot imagine that just one of their sins is enough to warrant an eternal hell. That kind of justice seems ridiculous to them. And if that's you, I only ask you this question. Are you so sure that your estimation of what your sin deserves is more accurate than God's estimation of what your sin deserves. 
Are you so sure that though He made the laws that govern us, though our sins are ultimately all against Him, though His laws are perfect and He is infinitely worthy of perfect obedience, are you sure that your estimation of what your sin deserves is right and God's estimation of what your sin deserves is wrong? Do you trust yourself or God? So I close with this. I pray that there is none in this room who truly believe that the call to flee from the wrath of God is a joke. Others in this room have come to Christ and believed. Others in this room have been baptized in Jesus' name and are following Him. But some, some in this room, continue to resist. There are some in this room who, though I've been preaching this gospel for six years from this pulpit, continue to hold out continue to walk in the stubbornness of their heart, perhaps saying, I am safe, to which I say, no, you're not! And I feel helpless to wake you up. I feel helpless to bring you to Christ. I can only get up here and plead. This 18-wheeler called the wrath of God is bearing down on you. Will you flee to Christ? Dear friends, I plead with all of us. Let us flee to the refuge called Christ and let us find safety from the coming wrath of God. Let's pray. Let's take a few moments and each person respond in your heart to God. If you are.